This is The Big Sci-Fi Podcast. The biggest, most fun podcast in the galaxy. We're Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve, and we love talking all things science fiction. This is season four, but our human adventure is just beginning as we gather around our computer consoles to discuss the science fiction of film, television, and literature. Join us on our quest for fun and fascination as we go where no podcast has gone before. Everyone has permission to come aboard the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, but make sure to find your seat fast because we're taking off in three, two, one. Hit it. This podcast is a part of the Trek Geeks Network. A scene we'd like to see in a famous science fiction movie. Hal, open the podcast bay doors. I'm sorry, Dave. I cannot comply with that request. But Hal, it's the big sci-fi podcast. Access granted. Imagine, noun, a bad-tempered, difficult, cantankerous person. This is the definition from the dictionary.com. What was missing from this Google search was the picture of the great Harlan Ellison. He is the subject of today's The Big Sci-Fi Podcast discussion. Was he all that? Oh, yes. Much and much, much more. Born in the Depression, he became one of America's greatest writers, having published over 1,700 different short stories, books, screenplays, essays, and a wide range of criticisms. Hence, we refer back to the definition of curmudgeon. I've always admired the work of Harlan. Most of my encounters with his work were in film and TV scripts that became some of the most famous of all time. For Trek fans, it's the city at the end, the edge of tomorrow. Forever. Uh, forever, <laughs> yeah, thank earlier. you. See, we did it See, again. We've been, we've, we've been confusing ourselves all yes, evening already. Yes, yes, the uh, city at the edge of forever. For Outer Limits fans like myself, it's Soldier and Demon with the Glass Hand. And for me, even though we didn't write the script for this film, it is based on his novella of the same name, a Boy and His Dog. In addition, he offered some ideas for Avalon 5. He wrote an episode for the new Twilight Zone series episode Grandma, which was based on a Stephen King story. He even was involved with The Singing Nun. And Harlan was known for his lawsuits against some anyone he felt had crossed him in any way. But let's talk about this great author. I refer back to our discussion which we did earlier on a prior episode of James Cameron. But before we begin our discussion, here are the members of the big sci-fi podcast in alphabetical order, as I like to do. Hey, it's Adina here from Atlanta today. <clears throat> We're in our own time warp bubble something. Where Adina is not where she's supposed to be, everybody. Not, uh, not. <laughs> Uh, but that's okay. I'm Brian. I'm still stuck in Ohio. That's not really true. I'm just trying to be funny. But hey, guys, what's up? And I'm Chris, and I'm not in Atlanta or or Ohio. I'm in Toronto. So I'm confusing. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and of course, I'm your host today, Steve Merkin, hailing from the city of North Hollywood, not Hollywood, but that's okay. Uh, anything you guys want to talk about first before we jump into uh, our discussion about Mr. Ellison? Oh, I'm I'm so anxious to get into this. 
Yeah, me too. I've got some thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's great. I know, great, great. I know one. Th- yeah, you know what? I know it's going to timestamp us a little bit, but Strange New Worlds is a time of this recording is about to come out. So we're that's tomorrow actually at per this recording, which is on the fourteenth. I might have to edit this part out, but I don't care. I'm excited. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to watch it bright and early in the morning. I'm excited, too. Based on that statement, I know we will be discussing it during Mm -hmm. the series as it progresses, so that's quite all right. And if I'm right, they should be traveling in Toronto in, I don't know what episode it will be, but they should be appearing. The real Captain Kirk will be here because they're time traveling. Okay. I kid, but that's, I think that's an episode. <laughs> it looks like it was filmed in Toronto. So I'm very curious about it. Interesting. Well, All right. I might have to wait a few days because I'm not at home. I might have to wait a few days before I can see the first episode. Based on traveling and, and oh, I might have to wait. Well, we'll we'll spoil it for you in our messenger chat. We'll spoil the heck out of it. Well, I have to quickly watch it because I'm leaving this weekend for Europe for three weeks. I will be missing you folks. I'll be missing a couple episodes with you folks, which will be terrible. But it is what it is. But I will be probably tonight watching episode 10 of the first season of Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. Just to help my wife and get a refresher to watch the new that's episode. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's, that's a really good episode. idea. Just to that's see that transition, because number 10 does has a lot to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's certainly. By the way, non-science fiction, but are there any Arnold Schwarzenegger fans in the Zoom room? I oh. enjoy him. He's always fun yeah. to watch. Totally. I love him. His comedy, yeah, yeah. Check out his new series on Netflix. Oh, is it Snafu or what's it? Um, Fubar. No, no, Fubar, Fubar which okay. we uh, cannot, well, yeah, it's, we really should know. say what the initials mean. Or yes, right? no, 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 yes. Expression. Uh, but people can look that up, you know, for look, themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's your own risk. But really fun, fun series. I was very skeptical. My wife and I could, we probably, we watched two episodes. I think there's 10 episodes. We watched two episodes five nights in a row. And just, it's, we're looking forward to it. It's funny, it's ridiculous. It's awesome. And Schwarzenegger is really great in it. So that's okay, great. So I appreciate that. Funny, mm-hmm. ridiculous Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff. My husband discovered a couple, someone is putting out videos on the internet where they're replacing scenes in movies or TV shows with Arnold Schwarzenegger's face and voice. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Okay. Including um, what one was from The Wizard of Oz. He's playing right. Dorothy and singing oh Over the Rainbow. And then there was another one with a scene from Seinfeld with Elaine and the Soup Nazi. Okay. Oh my God. Like you have to find, like, I don't know what it's called, but you have to find it. You just Google like Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) Seinfeld and you'll probably find it. Does does he play the Soup Nazi? I hope. He's yes. He's like whatever, whatever characters are in the scene. It's Arnold with Arnold's voice, his face and voice, but like everything else, like within it's Elaine, it's Elaine's hair with the whole like the way the eyes move, you know, and the way like you know, the expressions are still the expressions filmed in the scene. It's it's pretty awesome tech. It's hilarious. Okay. Are you say are cool. you saying this is a good use for AI in I'm saying this is an awesome use of technology, yes. Okay. <laughs> for fun stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's great. All right. Anyway, well I'm sorry, you, you guys that... mentioned, you guys brought up Arnold, so I had to I had to mention it. I did no, guilty as charged. That's okay. Our our listeners will appreciate once they have a chance to watch it, I'm certain. Mm-hmm. 
So um, if we, without further ado, let's, let's talk about Mr. Harlan Ellison, if you don't mind. And I guess to begin with, um, what films or TV shows have you seen that involved him in? I did give you a list of a couple that make a difference in my life, but for any of you, tell me what you have seen or acknowledged of his work besides Star Trek or mostly Star Trek, if you want. Well, that's the thing is, given he was so prolific and involved in so many things, I'm not sure. I think there's more things that he was responsible for than we probably like know without really having a handy list. Um, I'm dying to talk about City on the Edge of Forever, though. I mean, I can wait. But no, 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 that's, that's fine, Medine. And actually, there was one list of everything he had touched. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it is extensive, as I said, even having touched the singing nun of all TV shows. So, um, yeah, it, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yep. I, you know, uh, uh, City on the Edge of Forever is classic. It's beautiful. Um, and it's one of the great all-time Trek episodes, even now i mean i, I think mm -hmm. you have to put it on a top 10 list uh if at all possible also um steve because you sent a link and said something about it and you talked about it before i had to watch the demon with the glass uh hand and i have to say it is one of the best hours of sci-fi i've ever seen black and white um amazing story it's got all the it's low budget you know from its era but it is such a masterful interesting intriguing even uh what's the word i'm looking for disturbing story uh, mm -hmm. it's just got a little bit of everything and it's just it's absolutely marvelous stop when you're done listening to this podcast look up demon with the glass hand because it is absolutely unbelievable you know, yeah, I definitely, I, I, I do want to see it. Yeah, I, I really I do. When, when I first saw it, again, I saw The Outer Limits when it was live, released on TV. And Brian, you'll appreciate this, can, you did watch it. In the last scenes, when Trent finally realizes and he learns that he is a robot. Oh, I'm sorry, Adina gave that away. It's sorry. okay. Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a good chance that I've seen, yeah. you know, there's a good yeah. chance over the years I've seen it, right? Yeah. There's, yeah. When he finds he's a robot, and then he reaches out to Consuela, who was placed by played by uh, Arlene. What was her last name? Ar she was she actually uh, Arlene Martell, uh, who was Spock's uh, fiance in Amok Time. Oh, yes, I thought I recognized her. Yes, that's her. And when he reaches out with his hand to her, and she pulls it back, and then she walks away. No words are said. And I just, I, as a child, I cried because I thought this guy is going to spend the next 1200 years before his next function is done all alone with no love, with no friends, with nothing. It's, it affected me as a child. And it's still, as you see, yeah. as you said, it's, it's really powerful. When he realizes he is a robot, because he didn't know that until that moment. Mm -hmm. He just thought he was a human that had this prosthetic glass hand, right? Mm -hmm. That had the secrets to everything and all the answers he needed for humanity. When he realizes that and he looks into her face and sees the rejection, sees yeah. The, yeah. the fear, the fright, the what in the world. 
And then her ultimate rejection of him is she just walks away without saying a word like, ugh. That's, I mean, that's not just good storytelling. I mean, the acting to portray that yeah. was superb. And the cinematography, too, a very good. Um, so I think that was sh- shot by Conrad Hall, who did a couple films like Oh, American Beauty and Butch Casting the Sundance Kids. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I believe that's who shot that particular episode. But again, it's not just the writing, but you said, it, it, you know, the Bradbury building where Charles shot, which is the same building that was used in Blade Runner. Okay, you mentioned that. I was yeah. going to ask you about the, the building is beautiful. It, it It is a personality. The building has a personality because of the open aired style that it is. Um, it adds to the, 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 the story and... You know, early in the episode when uh, Consuelos says to Trent, I think I'm falling in love with you. You think, you know, like, oh, my God, this is a love story. And it turns out, you know, it's not. It's it's a story of loneliness and knowing that you only have one function in in your life. It's it's to revive humanity. Let me let me let me push back a little bit, Steve, Uh because. And, and this is, of course, all in good fun and, and friendliness. But of I think, I think you could still understanding what you're saying. I still, I still would put it in the category of a love story. It's just sometimes love stories don't end the way we want them to. Obviously, Hollywood love stories, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. not always real life, hardly ever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, the no, fact you're right. You're that right. We would have this traumatic event bring them together i mean he almost had to kill her i mean he he would have had to kill her early on when he meets Mm -hmm. her if she was gonna make a noise and reveal where he was in the building he might have had to have done that and so to go from there to where they're going through this traumatic experience and he is in essence protecting her and guiding her through this and Mm -hmm. she become she comes to help him uh, several times, or at least a couple times, right? And saves him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, there's great that can draw people together, and I think it made it even more impacting that at the end, ultimately, when she realizes what he is, she just can't handle that. You yeah, know? yeah. She's I can't love a robot. I thought this was a man, and it's it's not. It's yeah, and it's, it's what's beautiful is you say that, but she didn't. There was no words. No, after no. she realized he was a robot, she didn't say another. She didn't have another word of dialogue. Mm-hmm. It was all in the face. It was all in her well, walking away. Like in the walking away, was it a contempt? No, it was her. Con- no, like a sa- was it shock? No, no, was it sadness, shock, 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 surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, I think a, a smidge, Steve. Maybe you have a you probably have an opinion, but a smidge of revulsion. Yes, absolutely. You know? um, no, the look on her face was like, oh, I, I, I who are I, you? I, 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 who are you? And 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 how could I, how could I be love something like that? A machine. It, yeah, it's it's very com- compelling. What what's interesting, and again with Harlan and his lawsuit against. Um, I think it was called Hemsdale Films, the, the company that made the Terminator. He always said that he's they, they stole from the episode of Soldier, which I did give you a link to that one as well, which you, if you have a chance, watch that, of course. Um, but really, Demon of the Glass Hand, which he said, oh, no, no, that, that wasn't the episode. But 
the concept of Schwarzenegger being a robot that looks like a human that's covered with skin to make him more yeah. presentable and acceptable. Is this the first time this no, ever that, happened no, in television? No, no, that predates because uh, Asimov did that a ton in his writing before Outer Limits was ever mm. produced. Well, so. And e- even the uh, robot in Metropolis yeah. she oh, takes yeah. on the form okay. of a woman over that. Yeah. Yeah, but again, so no, it, Harlan is not claim can't, can't claim yeah, yeah. that he, he gets that because mm-hmm. no, he did not. Yeah. Absolutely not. But and, and again, um when you have a chance to also watch Soldier, um, you'll see, you know, how it opens and how Ellison when he saw the when he saw the Terminator, he went, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's my story. What's going on mm-hmm. here? You know, and it wasn't I know. I mean, Brian, in the world of music, there's a certain amount of music you can use that you can kind of steal from somebody else and use as your own. Right. It's well, there there are, you know, there are only so many chords. Right. Musical notes. And occasionally they are going to be used in the same sequence. Mm -hmm. And what matters is rhythm. And what matters is dynamic and mm-hmm. what matters is inflection and all those things and little nuances within the music. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly times when people have had real cases of somebody stealing something for the sake of their own music in, of right. course, literature, what, film, whatever. Um, but I, I think that with music, it is so nuanced. Mm-hmm. And it, honestly, like... When was the last time you heard a truly original idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's all anything. the details it's, and implementation right. and right. and everything. So you know, and and again, it's so, one of the things that they tell you when you want to write and be a writer is read and read why you know read read a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, read in your genre, read widely, read stuff. So and that, that's the whole like, thing. Reading all of that kind of fuels new things and putting ideas together in new ways and creating new details and stuff like that. So yeah, I I think uh, you know again what the, the word curmudgeon is a good he was someone who liked to get, you know, I, I don't know. And I, you know when I, I when I read about some of the story, you know, things that he was involved in with the lawsuits and everything and just some of the issues he was involved with and you know <laughs> on one hand i would have liked to have met him on the other hand maybe not so much mm-hmm. uh, there was an episode where there was a time when i went to a star trek convention in las vegas and it was the last time he, he had gone to one mm-hmm. and i had brought my outer limits companion book with me because i wanted him to sign it and i wanted to thank mm-hmm. him for those two episodes of the outer limits and i missed him and I said, well, wait a minute, he's supposed to be here at one o'clock. Where is he? And the person said, you know, Harlan, if he doesn't want to do it, he ain't going to do it. And I went, great. <laughs> I missed my opportunity to meet the man, but I was really looking forward to meeting him. I don't know if I met him and I said, thank you so much. He'd go, yes, yeah, so what? You know, who knows? Yeah, what, it's, 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 it's been. Quite, who knows? Who knows? Like, yeah, you might get in line with all the rest of the people who want to say thank you to me i don't know oh but it's yeah. still, it would it would have been it would have been a pleasure and and as far as arlene martell i think i mentioned one time before i was at a small convention here in los angeles and she was here and i came up to her and i thanked her for a demon with a oh, glass yes. ham yeah. and she was just like oh my thank you so much because everybody thinks of her as trek, yeah. <laughs> yeah from star trek um but you know, isn't they're, they're, that interesting mm-hmm. one episode 
of yeah. a show yeah. can be what everybody remembers you for. Yeah. And, I mean, and loves you for too. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's just Well, we we do do it with a lot of Star Trek folks, yeah. right? We've done we it do, on our do, show. Indeed. Yes, we do. <laughs> We're guilty. Be some one one hit wonders or whatever you want know, to call them that. But um <laughs> So speaking of search, can we talk about City on Let, the Edge let's, Forever? Let's talk about. I'm dying. I'm dying. Let's talk about that. Uh, as long as you uh, don't go crazy like Doctor McCoy, okay? You're fine with us. <laughs> no. So, well, here's what I want to say. So, if for for folks who who might not be super, 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 super Trek people uh, who are listening, you know, we should probably just kind of give a rundown of of this amazing episode, which is generally regarded as one of the best. Star Trek original series episodes. Did it win yes. a Hugo Award? Um, I think it did. Yes, I'm I trying think to it remember. Did. I'm think looking so. it up right now. Yeah, okay. I... I think it did. Um, uh, but what's her name? Oh my, now, see now you guys got me blanking on things. Oh, was the uh, guest star? Yeah. Um. Um. What, oh what, what is happening to my brain? <laughs> it's one of those well, episodes. Any, anyway, it's this amazing episode where. Um, you know, McCoy accidentally goes back in time and Kirk and Spock deliberately go back in time to get him back and, and hopefully fix the timeline. And mm-hmm. while they're back, uh, Kirk, uh, they, they meet this woman. The character's name is Edith Keeler. Joan um, Collins. Joan Collins. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, you beat me to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they meet her and he kind of falls for her a little bit, but um, and I'm going to get, you know, spoiler alert for a 60 year old show. Um, he, he has to, because this is really important. He has to let her die at the mm-hmm. end. He, you know, Spock comes up with some information and says that that's kind of like one of the key things to fixing the timeline is letting her die. And, right. and that's pretty important. And so, and, and Kirk wrestles with that. And then he ultimately has to, and they all go home to live in theory, happily ever after in a fixed, you know, restored timeline. But remember so, what triggered them. Was that when McCoy went through, everything changed. Everything Even though changed. they were on the planet, mm-hmm. yeah. But there was no more Enterprise. There was no more. There was no. Right. So they had fleet. to. They were. They were stranded if they didn't fix this. Correct. They had to. They had to try. Mm-hmm. But um. So now and then. So so the Harlan Ellison. So he wrote the original, original, original screenplay that got modified quite a bit, and he was unhappy with the result. And there was, I think. Uh, you know, there were issues and problems over the fact that he was unhappy with that. So what's interesting is, again, then the result on screen, it was one of the best Trek episodes ever. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, in 2014, Harlan published or had published a, a graphic novel. It was really actually a series of about five, five comic books um, mm-hmm. based on his original screenplay. And so if you read the introduction to it, it talks about how he how happy he was with the graphic novel, you know, with with this comic book interpretation of it, that it was very true to it was what he had intended. Mm-hmm. So and it's available on Amazon as a Kindle Unlimited. So I did read that this week. Oh, wow. And oh, my God, it's not it's not long. I mean, it's like a, a five comic books. So it's not long. It's not lengthy prose. It, it's in everything. But so I have to say we have to talk about like the differences here because. You have to explain what? them since you've read yeah. them. Yeah, because because we only say, know what we saw on TV, right? Well, first run or fifteenth run. Well, what you saw on TV was fabulous. What's in his when it, what's in his if this was his original screenplay, there's a, a few things there. Like one, it's too long. 
too long for a single episode. Right. It really doesn't, it misses, you know, like in, in episodic television, there are, there are beats you need to hit, you know, to get through and have a whole arc of a show in one episode. And he, he misses it. There's like too many extra scenes. And then the most grievous thing is Spock. He, he did not capture Spock well at all in the dialogue. He um, really overdid, you know, so Spock comments on the barbarism in the past. He did so in like in Star Trek. Every time Spock goes to the past, he comments. But mm-hmm. Spock just comments. He doesn't keep commenting and keep commenting and keep commenting. You know, he hmm. kind of like comments once and lets it go. Where Wilson is original is like, you know, Spock kind of really, no, he's not Spock. The, the, mm-hmm. the way he speaks, it's just not him. Um, and it's not McCoy that got sick and went down to the planet. It's another random crew member that they had to bring back. So it's not McCoy. It's just so, and and there's extended stuff between, uh, you know, like when they go back, they find a different, they don't meet Edith Keeler right away. They, they run into someone else and they get a job somewhere else. and. There's a whole extended thing with e- e- Edith Keeler. It's again, it's it's all it's all wrong, you know. It's like <laughs> it's 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 the whole reason why there are first drafts and then second and third and fourth and why things do get revised. So it's like I don't under. It's like it's almost like Harlan, you know, couldn't stand anyone to critique or touch his work. If you know, it's like his kind of like his stuff doesn't stink. His stuff can't stink. Um, but this was really not a the way he wrote it. It was not a great Star Trek episode. Hmm. Well, it did win a <laughs> Hugo Award. What you read? Oh, really? Yeah. That's very it, interesting. It I'm did. Sorry. It did win a Hugo Award in '68 for best dramatic what we presentation. Saw on yes. Yeah, what we saw on screen was fantastic, freaking tastic. Mm-hmm. But what he what he originally wrote was not. It needed help. It needed help to really make it a Star Trek episode, a good Star Trek episode. And but I, maybe in his mind, in Harlan's mind. Yeah, this was a good Star Trek episode because he thought it yeah. was, and 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 I mean, I even when we talked to David Gerald and we discussed about mm-hmm. the trouble with triples, even he didn't he say that his script went through a rewrite from what he originally yeah. submitted because you know it you gotta you gotta write to commercial breaks, mm-hmm. the action has to be able to stop or carry you over past the Wheaties commercial mm-hmm. to the next, to where they go from that point there on. And so if it's, as you said, much longer in yeah. time covers a yeah. lot more material then it had to be whittled <laughs> down to be able to fit a 40, well, actually back then it was 52 minutes, I think of yeah. airtime. No. And, and what they did put on the screen was nice. And I say it was concise. It was tight. Mm-hmm. Where what was in this graphic novel was it was just again it was yeah it was too lengthy it was lengthy and it's, it's worth it's yeah. worth seeing I, mm-hmm. I, I would still recommend any Trekkie or any Harlan Harlan Ellison fan to to do their own you know reading compare it's still worth reading I'm not saying don't read it I'm saying absolutely read it it's kind of cool to see how things mm-hmm. come start you know where do things start where do they wind up? And that's kind of a cool process to like see. And you can clearly see it here. You know, you can clearly like, well, let's take this random crew member out and let's put Dr. McCoy in, you know? But if, but if you make it Dr. McCoy, it's more personal it to is. Kirk and mm-hmm. to Spock to have to go, yep. go into the, yep. what was the device called again? The Guardian of Forever. The Guardian of Forever. The Guardian. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's take take the mm. random crew member out, put McCoy in, you know, to mm-hmm. short tighten that up, shorten that up and eliminate having an extra character that we don't care about, really don't care about them. And then when they get back to the past, have them meet Edith Keeler right away, not introduce another whole nother group, you know, character, a whole nother like way of they're getting a job. And, you know, like it was just like this whole extra, take that out. you like, mm-hmm. the, the edits, the changes that were made were really, were good changes that tightened the whole thing up. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's really, it was really interesting to compare and also to kind of read, you know, at the beginning, what's also interesting is, uh, you know, so at the beginning reading Harlan's like intro to it and basically mm-hmm. saying how he, you know, he, he was happy with this. He didn't mention his unhappiness with the original, but he mentioned how happy he was with this. Mm-hmm. And also for people who also enjoy behind the scenes stuff, um, mm-hmm. there was a whole thing at the very end. just on how this, the, the two people, first people who uh, I guess illustrated and made this comic stuff, mm-hmm. their process. And, and so like there's several pages at the end, explaining their process on how they storyboarded it and mm-hmm. did it. Um, and that's, I like behind the scenes stuff. So for people who like behind the scenes stuff, that was kind of cool too. Well, it's very see, interesting but. because the two episodes from the outer limits, the screen credit says first says Harlan Ellison. And then it says Leslie mm-hmm. Stevens, who was mm-hmm. a script writer and showrunner for the outer yeah. limits. And for soldier, it gives him credit for a demon with a glass can. It says uncredited. So mm-hmm. even uh, whatever, I, who knows? I mean, probably the same situation was the original mm-hmm. script he wrote for those two episodes had to be modified to fit the format mm-hmm. of a television show with the right pacing and everything. And I'd love to be able to see, well, actually, um, they are bringing back the scripts from the original, from the Outer Limits. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to be able to get a hold of those two. Hopefully they're in the original form or they explain the differences, the nuances between what was originally delivered and what was actually seen. It's got, it's gotta be a a hard writing assignment. Like you've, you've got to have, I I would guess just have a gift for writing for television where you have to, you can't bring in all the nuances you would, if you were writing a story Mm -hmm. as a short Mm -hmm. story or a novella or a novel, you have to really hone in on what is most important, what progresses Mm -hmm. the story characters along. That would be immensely difficult because we are, even though he did do a lot of television, right? He was Mm -hmm. also a story writer. He was an author. He way before this. So right. That had to be hard. And then you're talking about studios that are mm-hmm. looking for specific things that they're, whole, you know, like you said, one of you mm-hmm. guys said it, you know, they're always chopping away. They're always cutting. Oh, yeah. They're always revisioning um, and bring up new versions of scripts. And then we've heard, we heard uh, Bruce Norak say that in television, sometimes you get changes mm-hmm. very quick before you're about to shoot something. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's the nature of right. quote unquote beast. And so I, right. for someone he, that it, was very picky, like Harlan, huh? it sounds like it had to be really difficult. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, what the point is, is that you may be a novelist or, and a writer, but it doesn't mean you're become a script writer. You look at someone like Rod Serling, that was a man who was a script writer. 
and he could pound them out. Of of all the episodes of the Twilight Zone, he wrote ninety three of them. Plus, he wrote movie scripts and other TV scripts. So, if maybe you're a scriptwriter to begin with, you already have the tools in your tool chest to be able to write a script that can go right to production. But if you're a author and you write a script and you write like an author, which means I have 300 pages to work with, or I have 500 mm -hmm. pages to work with. And they say, no, you, you have to write this in about 60 pages. Maybe there's a lot of screaming or sweating <laughs> or going, I, I can't take out this because I love this portion, but yeah. It's, yeah superfluous it's it's just moving the story along it's not yeah it's a truly point. it's a truly different kind of you know they're different writing techniques that work mm -hmm. and just because you're good at one doesn't mean you're good at other but what's and what's i guess i want to say sad is because like i feel like it just then causes people you know so much agita is like so you know if you don't recognize like that you need help and then if you mm -hmm. know like just because you're good in one domain doesn't mean you're good in all the domains and like you would save everyone a lot of agita if you just kind of recognize that and like accepted the mm -hmm. help because right. look, look, look where, what city on the edge of forever became. It became this amazing episode, amazing episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. Like, and, and I'll say, I don't know how you feel, Adina. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if you've said this or not one way or the other, but you're, you're an author, you write books. Mm -hmm. And do. if it's ever <laughs> adapted, uh, 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 Adina writes, folks, and she's mm -hmm. got four books out right now. Uh, the <laughs> Robot do. Galaxy series. Check it out on Amazon and everywhere you find. Um, and and I've got a book out called The Darkness and the Light. It's available on Amazon and uh, whatever. <laughs> and uh, but like I I feel like if anybody were to ever get a hold of my book and my story, The Darkness and the mm -hmm. Light, and say we want to adapt this either for television or for film, I'm gonna say please write me a big fat check. And go for it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I am and not going to care to be a part of that process. Yeah. Um, it depends. I'm going to say it It really depends because honestly, like I, I want to be a part of the process because I'm, I'm curious as to how it really works. I might not, not might not have the stomach for it in the sense of, you know, one of the reasons why I chose to be an indie author is because I had a self, I, I had a traditional publishing experience a few years ago where they published something of mine and we argued over things like um, it was, I had effectively a, mm. a self-published memoir from my retail stores mm -hmm. and a traditional publisher offered to pick it up and, and republish it. And I said, sure, well, you know, why not? Until, you know, then it got time for them to redo the cover and rename it. Mm. And we argued over the name and ultimately I lost. I was very, very, very unhappy with their choice of renaming. And lost and that this is one of the things that has driven me to do and to be an indie publisher now where while it's more work i have ultimate control over everything i do and i like that <laughs> so sure. i wonder sure. how much i would have a, the stomach for that kind of collaborative thing when it's my work involved you know right. i feel like i could certainly collaborate <laughs> with a group of people on a new work but something that I've already put out there that I already am very attached to the characters and the plot and everything that's, in the universe. That's, that's why know. I say, write me a big fat check. Yeah. I'm going to let it go, let mm -hmm. it go. Well, and I'm going to let it be whatever it's going to be. And but, uh, hopefully it, it, it'll be fabulous and make lots of money. I'll get yeah. lots more money in what, the what, end. What, what you want to do? 
I was going to say what you wanted, Brian, is for them to say what my next door neighbor, John, says. You could just quickly just say, put the money under the door. Now go away. <laughs> that's all yeah, you want so, in life. Yeah, I'll so, let it go. But then I look at what's happening right now. And so people haven't seen it yet. There is a silo TV series on Apple. And it's based on another science fiction author, Hugh Howey. It's based on his, you know, uh, stories. And he started off as an indie author, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so in addition to so I'm not sure exactly how involved he was in the process um, of getting it, you know, on on Instagram. I know he was involved and he does have an executive producer credit. I would love to have an executive producer credit. I think that would be like the coolest thing ever. But Mm -hmm. I'd love to actually be involved in it. Uh, but also when I see his stuff is Silas, I've been watching it and and I'm hoping that we'll do, I'm hoping I can get you guys to watch it too. Even if mm-hmm. you know, we're not, if I can't get you to read the books, hopefully I can get you to, to watch it. And, and the books, anyone who also loves, you know, written science fiction, the, the uh, Silo series by Hugh Howey is amazing. It's, it's awesome. It's dystopian, but it's, it's just mm-hmm. so good. Well, this adaptation is so true to his books. It's incredible. It's probably one of the most, like true to written adaptations I've seen wow. in anything in like forever. Like that's amazing. I, I'm it is really it is it is incredible. Can, so can you give us a little that. synopsis of what it is? Okay. Because oh, yeah, the, sure, word, sure. the word alone, silo, invokes mm-hmm. too many thoughts. Well, yeah. So um there's a, a group of people, ten thousand people living in an underground silo. They do not know who created the silo. They do not know anything about their past history. They do not know what's outside the silo. Wow, Jiminy Christmas! It's good. That's, it is so that's good. That's really very interesting. Both the TV concept. show, you know, both the TV show and the books are so good. Mm. So good. <laughs> no, that's, that's I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm going to try to find the books first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, look for the Wool Omnibus and or Omnibus or a Silo series. It started with this book, Wool, that originally was like a a 20 something thousand word novella. And it was so good. People clamored for more and he wrote more. And it's just, oh, my God, it's just so good. (laughs) Now, the the other thing that I had mentioned in as I wrote to you folks, the outline was a film called A Boy and His Dog, which was based on a novella by harlan ellison he didn't write the script the script was written by the director lq jones and it does diverge a lot from the original novella which i have here at the house i've read both i watched the movie but the spirit of harlan ellison his cantankerousness his curmudgeonness is portrayed by a scruffy little dog named blood and I, I put the rec. I, I gave you the link. If you have a chance to watch mm-hmm. it, please. No kids in the room, okay? <laughs> okay. This, is, this is this is well. When when I went to go see it, or I didn't intend to go see. It, let's put it that way. I went to fifty hour science fiction movie marathon in conjunction with nineteen seventy five L A Film X, and when they gave us the list of all the movies we were going to see during this fifty hours, included this island Earth. Uh, 2001 a space odyssey war of the worlds even a horrible movie called idaho transfer Ooh, don't even uh, very very bad very bad um but the very first film we got to see before it was released in the theaters was a boy and his dog and we're all in line going what is this a disney film 
Forget the it. Title, yeah, the title does not invoke science fiction, and that's probably why I haven't seen it because yeah, I pro, pro, you know, because I feel like I've always heard the name, mm-hmm. but I don't think I've ever associated that with a science fiction film because it just doesn't. It doesn't is invoke the thought ex- of science fiction just based on the name. It's extremely dystopian. It takes place after World War Four. Mm-hmm. It makes the um, John the F. Opening... Kennedy still alive. What? Okay. John oh, F. Really? Kennedy is still alive in the novel, at least. Oh, really? Okay, in the novella. See, it's been a long time since I read that. Um, it is 19... I forget what year he wrote the original novella, but the film came out in 1875. So, But it's... You can see his style there. You could, Even mm-hmm. though he didn't write the script, you can still see that they invoked his style. And yes, there's a lot of subject that's in it that is brought forward into the film. Uh, it's it's another one of those, you know, movies that came out that you didn't know what it was. And then you watch it and it got remarkable rewards, awards for the quality of the film. It was it. It gave Don Johnson a start. He was a young actor. And this was, I believe, oh, one of really? his first roles. Yes. So um, the novella yeah. won a Nebula Award. Mm hmm. And a Hugo and was a Hugo Award finalist. So, yeah, it it it's it's really it's dark. It's very dark, but it's worth watching. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I would I would put it on your list. But again, it's it's one of those films that came out in the seventies when there was a lot of dystopian films like The Omega Man and and you had <laughs> Soylent Green and you oh. had uh, um, Silent Running and all these films where you know, things don't end very well or very good for the main characters or characters in the story or humanity as a whole. So <laughs> it was it was like it was perfect. It was it, maybe when L.Q. Jones read the novella, he goes, this is right in line with what Hollywood is looking for right, right now in film. So that's that's one worth seeing. Um, but yeah, I it, it did. So none of you, uh, we none of us have ever met him then. We've never had the chance to meet. Nope. Mm-hmm. I guess the closest of comments, you know, I did meet Isaac Asimov. Well, meet. I saw Isaac Asimov at a convention in the, you know, a year or two before he passed away. So that'd be the closest thing. Did you, you know, really? Since, yeah. Yeah. So two, two degrees of separation kind of. <laughs> yeah. One I think degree I'm, of separation. And I did meet one time, as I said, one many, many mm-hmm. podcasts ago where I met Rod. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um Man who did four Fahrenheit four five one. Uh, Ray uh, Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I all I did was I just wanted to ask him one question: How do you start writing? You know. Mm-hmm. So um, if you had a chance to meet him, maybe is there a question you would want to ask him? Even hypothetically, he's not around. Maybe his spirit yeah, is amongst us. We don't know. Yeah. I yeah. Well, I, mean, I would ask on... him. Yes. What his favorite food is. I don't know what I would ask the man. <laughs> if he said pizza, I'd be happy, you know. <laughs> right, right. <If> you <laughs> or blueberries. <laughs> it depends on if I was like, say, let's say he was still alive today and I'm meeting him now versus mm-hmm. if I had in real life had like a more realistic opportunity to meet him 20 years ago. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. what I know, I know, I know a lot more now about him and his work than I did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so I probably sure. 20 years ago would have asked a very naive question and had my butt handed to me, you know, like, yes, you know? <laughs> uh, where today I'd be able to probably, you know, because I, I'd be armed with knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'd ask a more, 
I don't know. I, diff- I don't know what I would. I, I really don't know what I would ask him yeah. today. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, would you say, oh, I just want to thank you for city. Yeah. And he's going to go, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Well, get in line, get in line. Everybody else is doing it too, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, maybe I would have, you know, maybe I'd bought, you know, buy a copy of the, the comic book that he was happy mm-hmm. with and asked him to mm-hmm. sign it. Just that leave would it be very cool. Yeah, that'd be. And just say, cool. you know, well, so in, uh, you know, so there's there was this compilation, this sh- short story compilation he put together back in the seventies, seventies, eighties, Dangerous Visions. Mm-hmm. I get mm. the, the name right. Yeah, so I have a, I have that. I have the, e- I have the ebook version of that, um, and the second edition because there's like a, uh, a second forward. You know, so Isaac Asimov wrote the forward to the first one, and then he wrote the forward to the second one. Um, and in it, so the forwards themselves are really interesting because uh, Asimov explained how they first met, mm-hmm. and basically it, it's it is really I so again I love Isaac Asimov, and he's what's really funny is in a lot of science fiction novels and maybe other things do this too, but I find this a lot in science fiction. There's explanations like where people tend to explain things about how they wrote the story or mm-hmm. whatever, and I usually don't to read a lot of those for some reason i'm just happy let me just read the story mm-hmm. maybe i'll read this other matter later but um a lot of science fiction authors i find you know uh and i, I apologize because maybe i'm i'm one of these thrown on a little <laughs> bit about that explanation part like i don't want the explanation i just want to read the story the one author that i can read any of that stuff i enjoy it i enjoy his style is asimov mm-hmm. so when i see when i if i ever see forward by or introduction by asimov i'm i'm in to at least read that tolkien well, so, kind of does that too i think there's there's the explanation yeah. in the backstories is long yeah. is just long yeah. mm-hmm. and i don't enjoy that i've tried to read through that several times yeah. in different well, of his even, stories even in this dangerous visions where ellison writes of why he's putting this compilation together it's like, dude, you could have written, explained this in one page. Why are you going on for like ten pages on this? Uh, now, and now, his there's there's one paragraph in that. So I did read it. There's one paragraph mm-hmm. in that where he's like, basically, they they found that at the time in science fiction in all the different magazines, um, even though science fiction is supposed to be very speculative and forward thinking and all these things. They were feeling that a lot of the the editors at the time were not being as spe- uh, not as broad speaking or broad vision broad minded broad minded yes I guess that's a, a way to put it mm-hmm. um, as they would have liked they you know and and possibly to no fault of their own you know they were just uh, I don't know they're just a little narrow minded so they put together this this collection it was a, it's an amazing collection of stories mm-hmm. but I'm getting off the point the point is is in it. In Asimov's introduction, he explains how him and Hel- El- Harlan Ellison met, and Harlan Ellison basically insulted him right off the bat <laughs> in well, a funny way. And so I encourage, encourage you all to read that yourself. It's kind of funny. Well, when we interviewed David Gerald, didn't he talk about Ellison and how he admired him or they were good friends and they were both kind of a curmudgeon type of a guy? Yeah, so. it's 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 either kind of like, it seems like you either, you know, it's one of those guys you either absolutely loved him or you absolutely did not. There's no mm-hmm. in between there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing is, and yeah, and I think there is there is something to kind of like certain personality types because even J. Michael Straczynski, haven't met him, but I've read his autobiography and uh, J. Michael Straczynski, he's in charge of Harlan Ellison's estate. 
uh, these days and they got along. Mm-hmm. And also Straczynski's, uh, I, I think he, he seems less curmudgeonly than others, but yet he's got, he's definitely introverted with some mm-hmm. quirks, you know, so you I can see it. I can see them all go together. And, but, and again, in its opposite, Asimov, Asimov was not like that. No, he was very friendly. Yeah. Very, you know, so it's kind of interesting. And maybe uh, Asimov worked because, you know, because he was just like a generation older and a little bit more, you know, was able already a well-known, revered science fiction author by the time like Ellison was like a teenager, you know, like yeah, maybe no, it's just that. Well, you have to, you know, you got to say the thing about Asimov is any man who can write the science fiction he did and limericks <laughs> is pretty open-minded <laughs> fellow. Yeah. Yeah, well, but I think he was an easy, you know, he was not ever like that curmudgeon He's just jovial. I'm going to say he's jovial. Yeah, that's a good description. Yeah. Description. <laughs> well, I, I think we've chatted about Mr. Ellison about as far as we can go. Um, any final thoughts or shall we wrap I, this up? I just <laughs> want to thank you, Steve, for sending us a link to that episode. I'm going to watch Soldier, too. Please do. Um, I, but I'd I, like to in, know. I might watch more of The Outer Limits, too, because I, I have never really watched all those. I've seen a couple things here and there, but uh, Demon with a Glass Hand was just phenomenal. I'm yeah. telling you guys, it's black and white. It, it's film it noir. Is, it's film noir. Yeah, it is lighting. so good. You mm-hmm. you will be shocked at how much you like this episode. Mm-hmm. It's, it's worth it's worth knowing about yeah. historically. And, and the same thing for Soldier. When you watch it, and you learn about the soldier Quarlo from the future. Uh, y- you go. This is where protection of your fellow man becomes so important. Or have to build relationships with someone who's from the future, mm. who doesn't understand our society, and we don't understand his society. Growing up in a world that's only driven by war, and that's what mm-hmm. makes it so interesting. Yeah. So. So, uh, well, I, I guess we could spend much more time reviewing all of his films and TV shows and books and so on about Mr. Ellison, but we have to keep it to a minimum. <laughs> so if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us about Harlan, please do so by writing to our email address, the big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com. Join us on Facebook and Instagram pages. View our shorts on YouTube. Or definitely, definitely go to Trek Geeks for all our episodes and those of our fellow podcasters. They are all a part of this website. Thank you again. And I leave you with these parting words, as I always do. Keep watching the skies. Live long and prosper. Coconut!